Amira, thanks so much for joining us on The Road Less Traveled. Um, it's a series we've just started to, to kind of shine the spotlight on, on people who've done really interesting things, not necessarily uh, followed the beaten path and are role models. And like I've just been telling you, you're an absolute role model. I know for the world at large, but for all the gamers, every millennial on our team, they talk about you and they so um, they love what you're doing. So I'm just really especially glad to have you. So thank you for taking. Thank you, time. thank you so much. That that feels uh, so nice. You know, often um, you know my family's parents, especially in our parents' generation, you know, awards and the likes were very very important in terms of recognition. And I always tell them, I said honestly, what gives me more joy than any award or any you know magazine listing is if I feel like I'm able to have a positive impact in some other entrepreneur's life. And to me, that is the most uh, sort of soul satisfying uh, moment. And of course, if my customers of Metropolis are are enjoying and happy for our services, that they are the ones. So thank you. That means a lot to me. But I want to go back for this con for the purpose of this conversation, Amira, to when it all started, right? Um, at least in game, given that we live in this entrepreneurship bubble, sometimes we fool ourselves that everyone wanted to be an entrepreneur at some time, but that's not necessarily true, right? Because one of the things we want to do is make entrepreneurship aspirational. But how right. did it start for you? I do know you came from an entrepreneurial family. Uh, did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur or was that there a point when you said, no, this is what I'm going to do? Actually, I don't come from an entrepreneurial family. I come from a doctor's family. Uh, and uh, I've always seen my uh, mother at home, uh, you know, be a good mom in terms of take care of us and, and be a good parent, um, you know, my father as well. Uh, but I always saw my mom having other things in her life, which were uh, as important to her as her kids, which were her patients and taking care of them. And so I think we always knew that there is another part of my mother's life, which is as important uh, and taking care of those people's lives is as important. And that actually gave us a huge respect for independence and, and doing things on your own and having a lot of facets of your life. Uh, and, and being a mother is important, but not to be all in the end all. Um, and the same thing with my father, right? They were both doctors practicing uh, you know, and passionate about what they did. Uh, so we grew up in a very sort of middle class mindset environment of saving and, and uh, you know, not having a very sort of uh, well-off life. We were very comfortable, don't get me wrong. Uh, but, but we never sort of, you know, traveled internationally and we didn't buy any fancy clothes and we, we didn't even have an AC in our room. We walked to school, took the bus to college, etc. Uh, and I think entrepreneurship, therefore, was not something which I had come across at all in my family. Uh, in many ways, doctors are all entrepreneurs because they're all running their own practices, but not in the traditional business sense. Um, the, I think the two things that really impacted my uh, desire and journey uh, were two things, actually. One was subconscious, one was conscious. Uh, the subconscious one was actually, I used to do a lot of trekking and hiking in the mountains when I was younger. Mm -hmm. uh, I love nature. I love the outdoors. And I used to go with my school uh, for the Duke of, Award, uh, sort of Duke of Edinburgh Award scheme, DEAS. Uh, which is this hiking camp you know, program that they run in schools where you go and you sort of be with nature and you trek and you have all these different grades, etc. So I did a lot of that for many years. And I think for me, learning in nature how to adapt. Because the thing about nature is you can't control it at all. One day it's really hot as hell. One day it's raining. One minute you're you know, on a mountain. One minute there's no water to drink for hours. And you just have to adapt and you have to live in constant uncertainty. And you have to still be happy because your positive spirit is what's going to carry you when you're dead, bone tired. 
so I think that ability to learn to adapt, the ability to not have things in my control uh, and still be happy and, and taking forward, looking forward to the next step, I think was something that very subconsciously came through second. I think the conscious thing was when I worked with uh, a large investment bank in New York, even though I was walking on Wall Street when I was 19 years old, and for most kids, that's a kick. And it was a kick in some ways. Uh, that kick lasted very light, very, very short time. And I realized very quickly in a matter of few days that financial services or being in a corporate ladder is, is really not my thing. Uh, and the next two summers, I actually land up working with very small companies, uh, which were like, you know, five people in one startup in 2000, the dot-com boom and bust. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other one was a company uh, which I worked with when I was studying as well. And I think in both, the sense of, ownership, the sense of belonging, the sense of um, the high I got, the fact that I was only one of five people that was steering, and I was only an intern, but that was steering the direction of an organization just gave me a real kick. And I realized then that, look, I don't like this corporate ladder thing. I like small businesses that I can mold, that I can, you know, I can head. And that to me was the first conscious realization uh, that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Was the internship in New York too? Uh, the first internship was in New York. Uh, the second one was in Austin, Texas, where I was studying. Uh, the, the next two jobs were both in Austin, Texas. So there's Amira Shah who decides Wall Street isn't for her. She loves the draw of the internship with a small organization. Then what happens, Amira? What leads to the starting of the journey that you've brought to so far? So I remember being in the US and I remember I was graduating from college and I happened to be chatting with my dad one day and I was telling him, I said, you know, uh, I'm debating what what to do, whether to come back to India. And at the time, you know, context wise, 2000 and uh, 2000 and 2001, nobody wanted to come back to India. Right? Once you went to the US for your studies, you stayed there. That was like your ticket out. That was never the time to come back. And I was like, I'm thinking what to do. You know, I can get a job here. Uh, but I really like these small companies. Maybe I'll get a job with a small company. And he asked me, he said, listen, do you want to be an entrepreneur? Do you want to be an executive? And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about, right? <laughs> so we went through that conversation. And I, I realized that actually all the things that he told me about what it meant to be an entrepreneur, uh, you know, was something that excited me. And so I said, you know what, let me come and figure out what's going on in India. And I came back to India after I graduated um, in December 2001. Uh, Actually, I came back the summer before that in uh, April 2001 to see what my parents were doing in India. And I found that my father had just moved his lab from his original setup uh, in Gambedi to Burley. And my mom was continuing her practice. And I looked at both the practices and I thought, hmm, is there something that I can do uh, by taking this platform of this, you know, that these doctors had built and making it into an organization? Uh, entrepreneurially and um, I you know I thought what my father was doing was exciting and scalable uh, you know it was one lab but it had the potential of becoming an institution but because it didn't involve uh, personal involvement with every patient while mm-hmm. gynecology which is what my mother did was very personal and required a lot of medical knowledge and involvement which pathology I felt like it could be different so I decided to come back in December and um, you know I and that's how I came back and decided to start building an institution out of what at that time was Dr. Sushil Shah's lab, which had just moved to Metropolis. Uh, but Metropolis was a single lab uh, company in India, it was not even a company, it was sole proprietorship. Uh, and uh, the idea was to say, okay, now how can this be much more? And what I had seen in the US were chains of labs which had large test menus, standardized processes, um, you know, full organization, not a smaller outfit. 
Um, and what my father had done exceptionally well was to build really good quality and therefore a brand for himself in South Bombay. And the idea was to take that and then, and then scale it up uh, into something that stood for large organization values beyond the individual. Amira, I want to still stick with the whole entrepreneur beginnings. I don't want to bring in the gender lens yet. I will bring that uh, uh, later in the conversation because it is important. But I want to talk about that those first 100 days. I've spoken to a bunch of people and everybody talks about those first 100 days. I mean, it could have been six months, but for to have something to coin the first 100 days. Can you walk us through those first 100 days? Is there something that you remember that was difficult, challenging, the good bits? Do you recall that so many years later? You know, I do. I mean, I think um, it was a very surreal time because there were a lot of conflicts and, and tension in the situation. And I'll explain why. Um, you know, even though I had come back to, uh, you know, starting with one location, there was already uh, something in place. You know, there were employees, there were about 30, 40 employees. Uh, there was, of course, my father. That was his one or two guys who had been with him for a long time. And most importantly, all 40 people were medical. Uh, and therefore, uh, uh, there were two, three things. One thing is my father is not a, uh, he's not a typical father at all. He's not at all protective. Uh, he's, you know, always been sort of sink or swim kind of approach. Uh, so I remember coming back and I didn't have a place to sit. Uh, and, uh, you know, he was like, go find yourself a chair. Uh, I'm not going to give you an office or any place to sit. Uh, so I remember just bouncing around chair to chair uh, all day. Uh, there was no introduction to the team uh, saying, oh, this is my daughter and she's come to uh, scale this up. Uh, he was like, sorry, you find your own introductions and meet people. Uh, so everything was sort of left to me to do. And I had to really figure out as to what I wanted to do and how to do it and just pick it up and somehow manage and get along with it. Um, so I think I remember that very starkly. And at the time, uh, the, you know, the sink or swim felt harsh, uh, but it allowed me the freedom uh, to really figure out like what was interesting to me. And it was really, I figured out how to be proactive at the time, because I remember being so flabbergasted at the fact that patients would come for reports in the morning. I mean, they mm -hmm. would come for giving their blood in the morning. They would give their blood from eight to 10. And then we would tell them to come at five or six in the evening to collect their reports. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to the reception every evening where there was at least five patients standing and firing uh, the receptionist for the reports not being ready on time. And I kept think thinking to myself, you know, we have eight hours. Uh, what are we doing? Why are the reports not ready? And so I immediately went into the system. So first thing is I started standing at the reception myself to figure out what exactly is going on. And I stood at that reception for about six months, um, you know, and tried to figure out what were the issues in the workflow, what were the challenges the consumers and patients were facing. I interacted with people. And that was the best experience because getting to know really what your customer wants, what their problems are, what the challenges are straight firsthand and handling those challenging um, you know, cha times yourself actually gives you a different lens uh, to the other thing versus just working for, uh, you know, top down. Uh, so I remember that being uh, you know, a very uh, surreal experience. But back to the conflict and friction I was talking about. So one, there was no introduction. It was think or swim. Uh, second, the known hand-holding at all. Second of all, uh, you know, it was all medical people. So, and I was an only non-medical. So automatically there was a disrespect uh, for me because I wasn't medical. Uh, because in the medical world, if you're not medical, you're sort of, you know, one level or few levels yeah. below. Uh, so there was an immediate sort of disregard. There was, what does she know, right? Uh, she's, you know, doesn't have any medical degree. So what can she really tell us? This is a medical profession. 
So there was an automatic challenge there in terms of earning respect. Uh, there was also the additional thing that, you know, even when you are the boss's daughter, um, uh, there is an indication of, uh, oh, this is your hobby. A lot of people's emotions about who you are, what you come yeah. for, why you're there, etc. Right. And you battle those as well. And then, of course, age and gender uh, definitely don't help when you're in healthcare. Uh, age, this, you know, being 20 at the time, 21 is a serious uh, disadvantage. So I think these were all the different friction points. And the fact that my father is not a protective nurturing type, uh, and it's not my nature either to go and uh, you know, do chugli every day and oh, I had this problem, that problem today. And that worked well for both of us because I was just a type of thing who said, okay, these are my five issues. How do I get beyond them on my own? Uh, and my father wasn't anyone to sit, stand in there and actually help me on any of those things either. So uh, it was a very interesting time. Uh, and I think very quickly in 100 days, I figured out uh, what I was going to do, uh, which was to plug the hole in anything and everything that came up. So I saw that there was, there was no organization. So first thing was to convert it from a sole proprietorship to a company. Uh, second, there was no HR, there were no files, there were no, nothing about employees. So I started setting that right. I found in purchases, there was no purchase department. So anybody would pick up the phone and call a vendor and say, deliver this. There was no record of anything. So I fixed that. I mentioned to you already about the customer front. So all the non-technical areas, which no, none of the technical people actually had any expertise in building is what I put my attention to uh, and uh, did not interfere in the technical part at all. That came later, a few months later, where I then started getting involved in the technical. You know, everything you're telling me now uh, is, it's really about A, your dad trusting you, I, I think, to have even in, allowed you to join the business in some sense, but letting you do it on your own, right? There was no, uh, hey, I'm going to do it for you. You've made this choice. And, and you actually uh, made some smart decisions, but, but you're still in a sense on your own, you've got things to prove. Did you find yourself at the deep end where you said, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Do I, maybe I should just go back to a job or you just found yourself in that journey, just dealing with things one at a time and moving through. Um, you know, I think my personality is not one to give up. Number one, I'm pretty resilient. Uh, that again comes back from nature, sticking with it, continuing the journey and not sort of, you know, on a daily basis thinking, okay, let this go. I'm sure I had my moments of despondency and my moments of, oh God, where the hell have I come? Uh, but I don't think those lasted too long. I think, you know, I was resilient enough to quickly move beyond those. Uh, you know, my father is, uh, is, um, very non-traditional. Uh, he's the ultimate delegator. Uh, part of that comes from his own laziness and part of it comes from the fact that he, he's just happy to let anybody else do the job if he can help it. Uh, he loves delegating everything. Uh, that worked great for me uh, because uh, I, don't, uh, I like working independently. Uh, I don't need somebody to give me too many instructions uh, and I'm happy to go with my own flow. So I think actually our, our styles were very complementary in the way that I could pick up whatever he was happy to let go of, which was pretty much most of it. Uh, and uh, I always thank him for that because he uh, intentionally and unintentionally uh, allowed me to, uh, to really find my own style and really flourish without constantly trying to teach me something. Because, you know, it wasn't a business at the time. Right? It was, like I said, a medical practice. And if he had tried to uh, coach me too much or mentor me too much or teach me too much, I think I feel like um, uh, what happens with most people is that they try, they then start imbibing somebody else's style uh, yeah. because, you know, there's somebody to constantly coach them. You start to get somebody else's style way of thinking for too, after too many years. 
I, I never really had to do that. I mean, I could observe whatever I wanted from him, but he was not one to coach me uh, at all. So I, I'm very thankful to him uh, really for that. Uh, and, and that just worked very organically for both of us, really. Um, Amira, what about pivots? Because I think one of the things a lot of young people who, or anybody, not necessarily young, old, but people who who are starting out on the entrepreneurial journey, perhaps don't understand how many times successful entrepreneurs have changed plans on on the journey, on the path, right? It, it, even something you really believed in yeah. that you you realized, no, actually this isn't, but it takes a lot to turn this around. Can you talk a little bit about something that you felt when you started out, were very convinced about and said, no, actually I've got to change that. Can you talk about some, some of those? I mean, there are, there are so many examples. I remember when I first started doing, um, you know, acquisitions with labs, and bring them under the common umbrella of Metropolis. Uh, there were so many thoughts about how it would be done, how it could be executed, what would be the challenges. And frankly, they were all theoretical thoughts, right? Because they all pretty much uh, were very different when you do it practically. Uh, you may say, I'll do it in X amount of time, and I'll do it in a certain valuation. The reality is totally different. Uh, you know, at the time, we, we were very small. We were only six, seven crores in revenue, uh, a crore of profit. So uh, while, you know, we had no money to really hire good talent you know we hire like a 15,000 rupees per month each are head etc right so a lot of the people you hire are not necessarily even where your vision of your organization you would like it to be but you have to find a way to work with them and quickly if they're not suiting your purpose adapt and move on so I think uh, the, the ability to to you know one to have conviction is great but then the ability to recognize where your conviction is sometimes faulty and sometimes where actually practically it's just not working like you thought it would theoretically that actually this is wrong and, um, uh, you know, I need to change, I need to pivot. I think it's a very fundamental, essential part of being an entrepreneur. And again, it comes back to what I mentioned earlier about being comfortable with uncertainty. Because the reason people don't want to pivot is because they're so comfortable with the path that they've defined. Uh, and so much anxiety comes out of making any change uh, that that's where, you know, you may not actually pivot at all or change what you need to change. Uh, so I think, again, the recognition of, that you have fear and you have anxiety and that you need to deal with it and confront it rather than running away from it actually gives you um, the courage to pivot or the courage to change. Amira, I loved what you said um, the other day when we, we'd invited you as, uh, to deliver the keynote focused on women entrepreneurship. I'd like to bring some of that to our conversation today. Um, those lessons you shared, I think those were very powerful. Can I ask you to talk through some of those again, please? Uh, for women entrepreneurs especially, I, I, I think we cannot talk about it enough. So I'd love for you to talk sure. about it. So I, you know, we had talked about five lessons and I, I'll just quickly run through them. Uh, do you want me to go through them in detail? No, just in a, yeah, a, a summary version of it just sure. to, in the context of this conversation. So, so the five learnings that I've had, and, you know, I think these are all very personal, but I think they could be relevant for many people. Uh, so one is about, you know, leaving your mark on society. And what I mean by that is often I've seen entrepreneurs, um, mostly women, but also entrepreneurs in general, who um, are very happy to start a business you know, as a hobby as something that they do as a, as a part-time thing or something they do uh, to fill their time or fill a, a hole in their life. Um, and unfortunately, while these things may fill a hole in your life for a phase, 
uh, they don't necessarily go on to become sustainable beings and organizations on their own uh, if you don't allow them that that flexibility and independence of being built independently and i've given an example of how your child is outside you as a mother and even though as a mother you sustain the child this child is an individual being uh, and therefore having its own ability to breathe and, and act and feed themselves etc the same way in organization ideally you want to make it independent of you because that's how it remains sustainable and that's how you become the indis- you become dispensable and that's how you leave your mark in society that even if tomorrow you don't decide to be a part of it or you pass away or you have a health issue or whatever it is that being that separate organization continues to survive and continues to have a positive impact on society so that was my one learning lesson in terms of sustainability i think second is to do it for the right reasons uh, again you know going back to it a lot of people do it for themselves they do it oh i'm getting bored in life i need to make money i uh, you know need to be recognized i need to prove to my husband i'm also capable and i own respect various various reasons right and i think uh, the the only reason uh, to do a business is because you're filling a need and a gap in the world you have to find what a problem is in the world that many people are are suffering with and you have to find a solution to it and that's the only way uh, that you're you're doing the business for a good reason and that's the way that brings you to all the original things you wanted of financial success of recognition of uh, people uh, respecting you for something you've done because if you don't start with the right reason of solving a problem and doing it for your customers or potential customers all those things don't come you can't start with i want to make money and start a business or i'm bored i want to start a business it just doesn't work because that passionate that passion doesn't emanate uh, enough from you to be able to actually make it a success uh, so i would say that's the second i think the third um, you know that and, and that the challenges that we face cannot become our excuses Uh, often uh, depending on who you are everybody faces challenges becoming an entrepreneur uh, it could be your family doesn't support you it could be uh, you don't have enough money to start it could be gender it could be age it could be you know there are thousands of things that are against all of us uh, you haven't been educated etc and i think often uh, when things don't go well for us or often when we are not able to convert thought into action uh, we use these reasons in our mind and make them as excuses that actually generate a negative energy and actually stop you from even moving forward um and i think the important thing is actually to identify all the challenges i'm not suggesting that we suppress them we identify all the challenges but then work towards saying which are the ones that i can actually influence and which are the ones i can't influence my family doesn't support me you know there's not much i can do it about at this point of time that it be maybe at some point they'll support me mm-hmm. uh i don't have enough money uh to start a business you're right but it's something i can control let me do a job for a few years let me save enough money and i'll have enough money to start a business right and then i can get funding uh externally um you know so you know i can figure out what you can influence what you can't influence and work at solving the ones you can influence and let those continue to be uh obstacles and not uh end uh, in the journey i would say fourth um manage your emotions uh, you know often people ask me what do you mean emotions you know talking about business uh, what do the two have to do with each other and actually to me being an entrepreneur is, is as much as it is about business as it is about managing your emotions because who we are when we start a company our company becomes a mirror of exactly who we are if i'm impulsive in my decision making or i'm impatient i will move all those values into my company because i'm the, i'm the company at the end of the day in the beginning of my form when i hire my first two employees and i'm the boss 
uh, I'm going to set the pace for exactly how things are going to work. Uh, if I'm anxiety ridden and I can't think, uh, you know, with a rational head, I will pass on that anxiety to my employees and my company will become anxiety ridden. So managing our emotions, and again, here it's not about suppressing. There's no perfection. All of us have strengths and weaknesses. It's about being vulnerable enough with yourself first to think and introspect and say, look, what are my weaknesses? What are the areas that I need to improve to get to a better balance? Um, and, and understand those and try to see as to how you can work on those to bring it to a better balance. Because the more balanced you are that an entrepreneur, the more balanced will your organization be. Uh, and I would say fifth, um, and this is especially for women, men don't suffer as much from this problem, uh, which is that our biggest asset is actually our confidence. Um, and, and it's nothing else. Um, you know, women suffer from the continuous virus uh, of uh, self-doubt. Uh, and I call this a virus because it is pervading and it goes all through your body and mind. And the minute you start thinking, am I good enough? Can I do this? Um, you know, am I capable? Can I manage that have traditionally plagued everyone? A negative emotion uh, or questioning your emotion, your self-doubt and the fact that the confidence is lacking and the fact that you're not balanced in your emotion can lead to a negative spiral. And that negative spiral can become being a very dark place. Uh, and getting out of that dark place, we all know it, is very hard. Uh, so the important thing is, you know, how do you control your self-doubt? And the only way to control your self-doubt is by working on your own confidence. And the only way to get more confident is to take on head-on the things that you're most afraid of. Uh, I remember in one of my speeches, I think it's somewhere on LinkedIn, I had given an example to a group of women about how, um, you know, I'm terrified of cockroaches uh, and how uh, I had decided that, you know, I really can't stand on any podium and talk about uh, fear and courage if I can't even face my face of cockroach in my bathroom. <laughs> and, and how I had gone about doing that finally uh, and, and, and gotten, I wouldn't say gotten over the fear, but definitely learned how to deal with my fear better. Um, so, and one of my favorite quotes actually is that, you know, courage is not the absence of fear. It's actually knowing that you have fear and finding a way to overcome it. Uh, and I, to me, that's exactly the best way to go. Absolutely. I can't, I cannot agree more. And I'm, I'm so glad we're having this conversation. I just heard you say it three days ago, but I'm glad we, after, after what you said the last time we spoke about it with the boys in the team and, you know, about the confidence issue. And they said, when a man applies for a job, if he fits three out of seven of the criteria, he thinks he's on a good wicket. Women, if we're not all 10, yeah. we feel inadequate. And, yeah. and, and it's really, um, we do this a lot. I, I guess it's systemic in a lot of ways, but it's time we recognize that pattern. So I'm just so glad um, you called that it's, out. It's deep, it's deep conditioning. You yeah. know, it, it's deep conditioning at every step of our way in every part of our environment. And again, that's, you know, talking about internal and external, that's not something we can control. But how we react to that is 100% enough. Amira, would you have done anything differently that you can point, look back and say, you know, if I had to do it all over, all over again, a lot of times when people have been successful, they, they understand that failures have been part of their, their success. But were there a couple of things you look back and said, no, that was unnecessary. I, I wouldn't have done that. Or not yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a long list, actually. Um, you know, and I, and I think um, 
happy. I've always been happy to be open, as open about my failures as as the things I've done right, because they've been a part of what brought me here, right? Um, you know, I think um, um, I'll tell you personally and professionally both, because they're both all tied in together. Uh, they come from the same person, right? Yeah. Uh, professionally, um, you know, I feel like I wish I had uh, built a good team earlier. You know, when you're an organization, you're just growing. You're also very worried about your profit and making sure that you have enough money to manage and survive. And you tend to take, uh, not spend as much money on getting a good team. And I feel like not doing that and not spending enough time on doing that. We were actually set back by many, many years, um, you know, and, and I think that's something which I definitely regret not investing in uh, very early when we were trying to scale. I thought I could fill in the gaps uh, on some of the things um, uh, and I couldn't. Uh, so that was definitely something that I wish uh, I had done better. Uh, I would say from a personal side, I think there have been, there, have been, there was a time in my life where uh, I really craved um, emotional engagement and I really craved emotional intimacy uh, for various reasons. And um, I was quick to make decisions to embrace intimacy, emotional intimacy, uh, without judging the people correctly. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason I say that is very important because the people we let into our lives um, land up influencing us very, very significantly, especially if they're family, they're close friends, they're a spouse, you know, in any, any of these angles, right? Um, and I think deciding who to let into your life, who to let into your space is something we have to be very cautious about. And when I say cautious, I don't mean we have to become scared and numb and, you know, paranoid and not like anybody else. So we have to be cautious to say, is this a toxic energy we're bringing in? Is it a positive energy I'm bringing in? And I think the mistake that I made at certain points in my life was not making those uh, wise judgments and actually allowing, in some cases, negative energy to come into my life, which again, set me back by many years. I completely agree with what you just said. Um, I turned 50 in four days. And one of the things I feel most empowered about is making the choice about who I want in my life. And I really feel that frees you in a way like nothing does. Absolutely. You surround yourself with people who nurture you, um, you know, for the right reasons, with the right intent, with the right energy. I think it, it really sets up that anchoring, emotional anchoring, uh, allows you to fly and allows you to be completely free. Great. Amira, we're going to jump into some rapid fire now, right? Sure. Um, what's the one overrated entrepreneurial trait? Um, I would say um, I've often seen thinking big as something which uh, the boys club always evangelizes and talks a lot about. And often I've seen that that thinking big comes from ego. Um, I'm not for that, in favor of that at all. I think thinking big is is good, but it should be coming not from a space of personal ego, uh, but from a space of strategic interest. Do you have an entrepreneur icon, somebody you look at and say, you know, I really admire what they've done. Yeah, many people. I mean, I was first inspired by uh, Mohamed Yunus of the Grameen Bank. Uh, he was the first, I would say, person who inspired me around the late 90s. Uh, and it was because of him that I actually, uh, you know, uh, uh, decided to come back to India because I saw what he had managed to do in Bangladesh. Uh, so I would say definitely him. I would say along the way, many others, uh, you know, I mean, um, uh, Deepak Parikh is somebody who I deeply admire for his humility. Um, Kiran, uh, I admire for her courage uh, and her, uh, in a way that she's, you know, broken uh, many, many, uh, uh, you know, glass ceilings. Uh, 
um, I think there are a bunch of people who I would pick up individual traits and 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 be very impressed with. Uh, you know, people like um, uh, global leaders like uh, Bill Gates, uh, who thought very ahead of his time and then uh, moved his uh, attention to philanthropy and did a complete pivot. Um, I, I would say a lot of them. Yeah. What does Amira Shah do for fun? I know work is fun, so, but yeah, fun. fun. Lots of things. So as I mentioned earlier, I love nature. I love the outdoors. I'm happiest when I'm standing in the sun and I'm in a mountain, on a mountain or in the beach or somewhere that I'm just outdoors and I can feel alive. Uh, and therefore, I love sport. Um, and therefore, I, I play sports all times uh, for fun. Um, uh, I'm a chess addict. Uh, I love playing chess. Uh, so that's something I really enjoy as well. I love animals. Uh, uh, you know, so I have... Uh, uh, two dogs, uh, two pugs, uh, who I absolutely adore. Um, and uh, so these are some of the things in my life that I that I really enjoy. Uh, there was a time I read a lot, but that's not the case recently. I've just had a baby five months ago, so currently uh, my joy and enjoyment comes from him. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, a, a lot of these things. And I also really enjoy, uh, you know, mentoring other women on uh, to empower us. I mean, that's something that's given me a great deal of fulfillment. That's, that's a thread I, we definitely want to pick up with you. I, I really do think for the journey that um, game is on in really catalyzing entrepreneurship, mentorship pay, plays such a big role. In, and I, I really would like to continue that conversation um, separately. Um, my last question, Amira, sure. five years from now, where do you see yourself? Where do you see yourself as an entrepreneur? Where do you see yourself as a person? I see myself moving to building, continuing to build organizations, uh, maybe in a, in, a, in a different space as well. Um, you know, I've always been very attracted to um, the idea of sustainability uh, for others uh, and having an impact on society in some ways. So I think there's a very natural evolution uh, of extending empowerment uh, and building it much larger, uh, where I hope to spend a lot, lot more of my time uh, in the future um, you know, in building organizations that can continue to uh, sustain other people's dreams and have that impact. Uh, and, you know, the last five years of my life, I felt this need uh, to want to give back, to want to, um, uh, you know, I've been very, very privileged and I'm, I'm deeply grateful for everything I have and, and I've managed the journey I've managed to go through. Uh, and I really have been feeling for the last five years, it's, it's time to give back more and more. I've managed to do a little bit of it, I feel, through Empowerus, but uh, I feel like there's a lot more of that from where it comes from. Um, and I think uh, more of my energy and time and uh, if it can be spent in that direction, I, I genuinely believe it'll be, it'll be good for my soul <laughs> than anything else. Thank you so much, Amira. I hope our conversation today encourages people to just take that road less traveled. Thank you so much.